0: Welcome to the Land Party Lawyers Podcast. My name is Stephen Blickensdurfer. I am joined by Nicholas A. Brown, my colleague, former classmate, and cohort in gaming. And we are your hosts of the Land Party Lawyers Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of video games, law, and business. I'm envisioning a triangle. Uh, Remember, nothing we say is legal advice on this podcast, so please don't take it as such. But I'm very excited about our episode today, so Nick, why don't you tell us what's going on?
1: Absolutely. Today we're going to talk about bugs and glitches in video games, which is a sensitive topic near and dear to all of our hearts. And we are really excited today to have with us Jack Clabby, who's a shareholder in Carlton Field's Tampa office. He's with us to help us explain some of the legal issues are involved when there are bugs and glitches in games. So today, we're gonna first talk about bugs, we're gonna talk about the good, the bad, and the surprising, and then we'll talk a little bit with Jack about what happens when there are bugs in games. Nick, Nick,
0: you're saying a lot, bugs, bugs, bugs. Do I need to call the exterminator? What kind of bugs are you talking about?
1: Not today, Steve. Uh, so when we're talking about bugs, what we mean are coding or development errors in games. All, pretty much all video games, as we know, they're software, and they're pretty much all come from lines of code, And as we all know, software does not always work the way you expect it to. And sometimes things go wrong. And so when we're talking about bugs and glitches, we're talking about the whole spectrum from games completely not working when they just crash or or fail to run, or all the way down to the game pretty much works, but certain aspects of it, uh, they behave in unexpected ways. So of course, when we think about bugs, the first thing we think about is games not working. These are bad bugs. Bad
0: bugs, right, bad bugs are I just played five hours going through this cave trying to find the boss, beat the boss, except somehow when I'm, you know, getting my reward, it's it's not there its items disappear or when i go to return a, a turn in a quest to get whatever xp i can't for some reason so, so these these are the very frustrating slam your con- you know controller on the floor or you know don't don't slam it to the tv but sometimes it makes you want to i wouldn't that. recommend that those those are bad bugs and often you have to go back and you lose substantial progress as a as a result and this is what can oftentimes generate bad press when you've got especially in this day and age Uh, people banding together on Reddit or whatever community that exists for a game, a forum, and they can just, you know, lay out all of their frustrations and vent, and you oftentimes will have bad press as a result. That happened recently in Fallout 76, I I was just going
1: to say Fallout 76 is a very recent, very good example of that. So the reviews for the game, when they started pouring in after the game came out, they said it was just littered with all sorts of bugs, uh, from game-stopping ones to just some entertaining ones. And we won't go through all of them here, but there are a lot of funny videos online that catalog these bugs, I was just gonna pretty say, entertaining. I was just
0: going to say, you probably have a lot of laughs as a result of these bugs, which gets us
1: into our next category of bugs, which could be fun bugs. Right, so bugs aren't always bad, right? Sometimes they're hilarious, in fact. Like, for example, there's a glitch you can have in some games where your character gets stuck in some awkward animation, Right no matter what you do. Right. So it's always fun to have this stoic hero involved in a, you know, a cinematic storyline, and then you see him fighting enemies from like a crab walk stance, and it looks really bizarre, and it's out of place, and it's really funny. Have you ever done a crab walk, Nick? Uh, not offline, so only, to my knowledge. only virtual crab walking for you? So far. So another famous example is the horse from the game The Witcher 3. Great game. Great game. Uh, the horse's name was Roach. Uh, as we all know, this game was lauded as a an absolute masterpiece, a technological masterpiece. It was very thematic, and it was high quality. But the horse you ride in the game, which is a big part of the game, he had all these physics problems. Uh, He would randomly float through the air, look like he was swimming. He would walk around on two legs sometimes. And even once in a while, he would stand there and look like he was doing these weird push-ups.
0: Horse push-ups, Nick. Horse push-ups. They
1: they don't lay down, so they need to have strong legs. They do horse push-ups. Apparently. uh, So in an otherwise masterpiece of a game... The, the wacky behavior of this horse became a meme online and it was really funny. It got so big that even the developers of the game were in on it. Uh, a couple years ago they released an April Fool's video after the game came out where they were saying that during development people actually complained because the horse coding was too good. It was too realistic and people were getting like motion sickness and whatever. <laughs> so in this video they claimed that they instituted a bug creation department at the developer and they went back in and inserted all the funny behaviors of the horse. So they really owned it. Uh, I thought that was a really good move. It was funny. And the video's still online. You, you should absolutely check it out.
0: Well played. Well, sometimes we have bugs that are bad. Sometimes we have the hilarious. And sometimes we have the, the really useful and um, harmless and interesting bugs. One of those that comes to mind is the Konami code bug, which is really... Uh, uh, yes. It's kind of leaked into pop culture and, and exists in other places. But it's that classic... Uh, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A.
1: And then all of a sudden it opens up a new mode where it just enhances your gamer experience. I think you can even do that in Google Chrome now. If you type that in, it gives you some kind of an Easter egg.
0: Yeah, so the, that's that's the, the the really cool bugs. Uh, now you can find it in, in lots of different places. But this is to be distinguished from what immediately came to mind when I was thinking about this stuff, is the Game Genie, right, for Nintendo or, or Genesis. It's actually a hardware piece that just jam into your your game console right and then you stick your cartridge on top of that and I never had that cuz I'm not a cheater but well maybe you have more experience with it than me well you know I I did have one but I wouldn't consider it cheating so what happened was the the game genie somehow when you put in the the right codes it would manipulate the memory somehow find where the memory was stored for extra lives for instance and where the default was three on this particular game it would you could change it to 99 uh, that's not cheating. you are just right. changing yeah. the settings that, that on the game. That sounds totally legit so, from over here. You know, there are other examples of interesting glitches that are that are in pop culture.
1: Right. So one one that, you know, um, I always think of is I used to play World of Warcraft when it first came out. And it's an online uh, massively multiplayer online game and there are all these areas of the world that you can't really get to because the developers are still working on them. They're not accessible but some people actually learned how to glitch, use a steep terrain glitch, to get into these unplayable areas. And I just, I remember it was hilarious because they would come back to the forums and tell their friends about it after scoping it out. And it was treated like they were these great explorers, like the Lewis and Clark. You know, the people say, what did you see in this <laughs> land? And they, you know, they played along and it was really funny. That, that just always sticks out in my memory.
0: Yeah. so. There are other types of bugs, so why don't you go into the next category,
1: the ones that maybe, you know,
0: find their way into mechanics of other games.
1: Sure. Some bugs actually lead to accidental discoveries that uh, go on to do great things. And, and I got to stop and, and, and make an analogy here. Uh, a great example of this comes from outside the video game sphere, and that's Viagra, the ED pill that just, we all know about. You just went there. I did. Hey, it's a great example. Bear with me. Uh, It was an accidental discovery itself. They were testing heart medicine on a bunch of different people to see what they could do uh, to help people's, uh, you know, failing heart issues. And a bunch of the patients started reporting uh, a very interesting and unignorable side effect.
0: Is this coming from personal experience?
1: Uh, It's coming from a lot of online research. And that side effect ultimately became the primary purpose of these little blue pills that went on to sell millions and millions and millions around the world. And so, I I like that as an example because the exact same thing has happened with bugs in games. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite example is uh, tribes skiing. So, skiing is a super fun movement mechanic where you can take advantage of of physics to zip around the map like a professional skier. Uh, It actually comes from a physics glitch in an old game called Star Siege Tribes where players could slide across the ground by messing with jump and jetpack mechanics. And that mechanic, they they embraced it, and they started put the developers started putting out new games with that mechanic as a core part of the game. Yeah. Uh, Tribes Ascend was uh, the most recent one, and it was tremendously fun. Uh, it's you know a shooter, you're fighting, you're playing capture the flag, but you're zipping around on all these hills and jumping over chasms, and it it added a whole lot of fun to the game. Maybe a, a less famous but a more extreme example would be a game called Guns the Duel. I haven't heard of, I haven't even heard of it. Well, I gotta disclose, I never played it myself, but I found some articles online, and it is really interesting. It is a third-person, horde-mode shooter from like the mid-2000s.
0: Horde-mode? Is this like zombies?
1: No, not quite. It's endless waves of uh, computer-generated enemies, and you last as long as you can. Like Vermintide? Something like that, yeah. So, now, this game had a movement animation-canceling glitch that allowed for an entire new style of play. Uh, that dramatically increased mobility and allowed for these huge combos. It was called K style, which, as I understand, is uh, it means Korean style because it, it originated in Korea. And that uh, weird like, glitch,
0: gu- kind of like Gungun style. Well,
1: maybe, maybe a little bit like so, some a pre- like that, predecessor. Not nearly as popular though. Not nearly. It, it ended up. It, it became really popular. It ended up becoming up the entire meta strategy for the game, and it attracted a bunch of players because few games at the time allowed this type of freedom of mobility that you could access by uh, employing this exploit and uh, As a testament to the fun of the exploit uh, in the sequel the developers removed the glitch and they tried to get put their own Case style movement scheme in and that game was much less popular people complained. It didn't work the same way They wanted the bugs back put it back right put it b- <laughs> didn't happen unfortunately <laughs>
0: All right, Nick, that was a very interesting conversation we just had about different types of bugs in games and glitches, where now we're going to interview Jack Clabby, a veteran litigator here at Carleton Fields in our Tampa office, who does a lot of work in cybersecurity and securities litigation. He's also a longtime gamer himself. You don't want to face him off in Goldeneye, probably not with the golden gun. Without further ado,
2: Jack, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here, Steve and Nick. I've heard a lot about this and uh, looking forward to today. Awesome. Well, so Jack, are we. Why
0: don't you start us off by telling us what's your favorite or worst bug experience in your gaming career? Well, I
2: started off gaming on the PC mm-hmm. in sort of the early 90s, mid-90s. PC Master Race, represent. That's right. and. At that time, for 3D games, it was all camera glitches or camera bugs. Mm -hmm. So I remember playing Tomb Raider and being pretty frustrated about not being able to get to what looked to be accessible, but weren't. Um, And one of the ways you could tell what was and what wasn't accessible was where the camera would go. Uh, Resident Evil as well for the PlayStation had that sort of classic tank style control system but you would right. have a fixed camera in a room and you often couldn't see parts where you wanted to go. But What fun. about
0: moving the camera around so you can see inside the room that you're about to enter? There's <laughs> yeah. another way to work
2: that one. That's right. So that's the thing, right? So that's where a glitch becomes an exploit, right? And did you feel it was okay to use that? Now I play a lot of uh, Nintendo Switch now and Mario Odyssey has a fantastic camera that takes what was, I think, an exploit, right? right? In the early times of Resident Evil, makes it... Uh, you know, part of the game experience they is you're going to play around with it. Right. And gives you much better control. And I think graphics and obviously the processing power, um, is much higher and can do that. But I tell you the, uh, one of the other games, I don't know if any of our listeners are going to know about this, but there was a game in the mid nineties called spaceship warlock. And I remember yeah. being very upset that I couldn't get the credit, the credits I'd achieved credits, but couldn't deposit them in some sort of account that I really needed. So if there are any, uh, fans of space opera point-and-click adventures out there. <laughs> Maybe they know the frustration. I did eventually get it to work, but I had to uninstall it, reinstall it, put it on a few different machines. Very
0: frustrating. That's a pain. The,
2: and the reward for that uh, was not great. Yeah. It was uh, just completing the, the, the on-rails adventures. <laughs> Icing on the cake,
1: huh? So Jack, uh, what are some legal quant- consequences that can come from buggy games, you know, from a, from a uh, top-down perspective?
2: Yeah, so the, the bottom line, risk to publishers for these games is a loss of interest in the game right Mm -hmm. and so let's just start out by saying it's the business risk which in a lot of ways drives the problems right but with big blockbuster games and i think also with uh smaller games so at at the extreme ends of game publishing you're going to see the risk of private lawsuits Mm -hmm. and what do we mean by that well there's a couple of theories When when a product ships there's often an argument that it comes with an implied warranty of fitness different states call it something different But the idea is that uh, when a publisher sells a product and a consumer buys it, there's an implied warranty that the thing that you're selling is going to do what it's supposed to do. Makes sense. And at that end, that really looks like a breach of contract claim. Then you hear about products liability lawsuits. Again, you've bought something to do a particular purpose, and it doesn't accomplish that purpose. Mm -hmm. Sort of similar. Now, at the other end, we're not talking about contract lawsuits or sort of implied warranty lawsuits. We have the sort of scarier end of it, which is accusations that the publisher or the retailer, whoever's selling this good, uh, is really lying, and that's often mm-hmm. called a deceptive trade practices.
1: Right. It's and all a scheme.
2: That's exactly right. The, like, the person who's selling this good, or, or in this case, the software, knows it doesn't work, but is nonetheless selling. And that's something where, where regulators, uh, in addition to private, to private plaintiffs, who's the person bringing the lawsuit. I think are going to be interested.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine so. And I could think of a recent example of that where I'm not saying that it happened there, but Fallout seventy six is another example of just, you know, a game that was shipped and there was it it had a lot of bugs in it. It met with a lot of frustration
2: and I understand, you know, there were lawsuits that stemmed from that. Yeah, so these are, and when you have a, a blockbuster title like Fallout 76 that's produced by Bethesda, right, one of the biggest publishers out there, mm-hmm. and these are these are $100 million titles, you, you, the risk there is something called a class action, right? And so for the listeners who don't know what a class action is, it's when a number of people all have the same loss, right? In, in the case of, of Fallout 76, let's say you had 100,000 people who bought it in the first 48 hours, and each of them would join um, the putative class of buyers and each would sue for their $70 refund,
1: right? And that would be in the same lawsuit under the theory that it wouldn't be worth
2: it for them to each bring an individual lawsuit? That's exactly right. Because right. you know to, to try to get your $70 back, it, it doesn't make sense for you to pay a lawyer $50,000 to go do that. But if a bunch of people all get together, uh, it's it suddenly the economics changes. Now, the theory, again, in, in the sort of discussion around the, the fallout game. Mm-hmm. It, or the it,
1: fallout, you might say.
2: Right. The, right, the fallout from the launch. Was, it wasn't that the, the bugs themselves reduced the value of the good. right? It was more that there were bugs in the product, the product wasn't finished, mm-hmm. and the consumers weren't getting the refunds that either they were promised or the refunds that they were entitled to. So it, it's really different, right? You have a, a buggy launch of a title. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to contrast this with what we've seen in some other blockbuster titles. Now, I'm a big Star Wars Battlefront f- fan. I played it for the Xbox in the mid-2000s. And I was, the original one. Oh, the, yeah. oh, the yeah. original one. Nice. And then I got very excited for, for Battlefront 1. As did many and, of us. And Battlefront 2. And I, this, is, this is the Battlefront I'm going to experience with a new generation. Right? Right, I wanted right. to see what, what the millennials had in store for me. <laughs> And, uh, it's and not we all avocado little, toast. You were a little disappointed. I you? was. <laughs> we were really we were Although the problem was I'd been playing with with so many buffs on my old Xbox character that right. it was hard to start again as a grunt. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but that was it, right? Because on day one of the launch, this was more for Battlefront 2, right? But on day one of the launch for Star Wars Battlefront 2, folks who had paid a little extra money, mm-hmm. right, got better equipment, better classes, uh, and better hero access, right? Got to get those pre-order rewards. That's right. But that's di- so that's different, right? So bugs in like a Fallout 76 launch is an error in the coding that Bethesda may or may not have known you about. You can't even pay to fix that. That's right. But ex- Battlefront 2, it, it, it's the game worked exactly as it's supposed to. The right. criticism from the players was that the way it was supposed to work is terrible and right. stop doing this. And, and it's a little easier to fix because it doesn't require you cracking open the code as much so we've got class
1: actions in america i understand that the uk in 2015 amended it they they have a consumer rights act that um in 2015 they amended it to increase protection specifically for people that buy or bought digital content Uh, and and they allowed the type of class actions that you're talking about here in america
2: that's right so the united states is known for innovating a lot of things right apple pie thanksgiving American-style football, we're also at the innovation point in class actions, where we've had class actions for several generations. Europe and particularly the United Kingdom does not have these sorts of class actions, and mm. so they needed to pass a law that did a couple of different things. One, the Consumer Rights Act uh, create, uh, allowed people who were buying video games certain types of refunds and replacements. Guaranteed them. Right. And so in the United States, this is done by contract. Mm -hmm. And it's done by what we call common law, a series of lawsuits that creates, whether there is or there isn't a right to a refund. In the UK, this is now done by the equivalent of a a United States statute. But the second thing it did, and this was, I think, in recognition of modernity, really, Mm -hmm. was it allowed for a type of class action uh, that looks like a more US-style class action, which was a pretty big deal. And there hasn't been a lot of action under it. Uh, But at some point I think we're going to see this and again for blockbuster titles. This is this is a big deal and this happened right around the time that steam and some of the other digital game sellers, right in streaming services, right? started talking about what a refund would be. Ah, what a coincidence.
0: So, so I'm, I'm really struggling with where's the line for where something is just, you know, yeah, I accept that this game, no, no program is perfect. No game is perfect. There are going to be errors in lines of code. Mm-hmm. But where's the line between, you know, I accept a buggy game or no, this is a problem and it rises to the level of there may be some legal consequences for
2: it. And I, I think it's going to be really regulatory action. We talked about that a moment ago. Regulators like the Uh, The Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, and state regulators, particularly in California, where a lot of these software development companies reside, or or the publishers reside, are going to be at the forefront of this. And they're not looking for the buggy game. They're looking for the buggy game plus some evidence that the publishers knew about it, right? Because it's that lie that really turns and makes things scary. Um, That's on one end, right? That's sort of the publisher's potential responsibility, Uh looking at sort of... Are they making, you know, if if I'm selling a, you know, a a food product that I know is tainted, right? Obviously, in that case, it's it's, the consequences are illness and death and a little more quantifiable. But it really, right. But the theory is no different. If I'm selling a product that I know is buggy and is going to have complaints, you could see a regulator kind of picking that theory. Now, on the other side, right, what about exploitation of these bugs or exploitation of these these glitches? Uh, You know, there's. There's a, a pretty good example from, I think it's uh, four years ago or so. A couple of guys found a bug in video poker machines. Right?
1: Ah,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, what's a video poker machine but, but a video game? Right? right. That's really what it is. It's a video game with a lot more money, more directly at stake. Uh, and what they did, they didn't do any special tools. They didn't hack it. They figured out a, a combination of key presses that in, dramatically increased their chances of tsunami code. That's right, it, 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 again. <laughs> and I, I don't know how. I, you know, it's been a while since I've looked at that. I don't know how they were able to figure this out, but they were charged and prosecuted as with, under criminal statute. Right, that's the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act for those listeners who might not know? Right. So the so the Con, computer speaking of bugs right the computer fraud and abuse act has its own share of bugs right? <laughs> this was a law that was passed in 1984 and i think in 1984 at the height
1: of all technological that's, hacking that's, development
2: yeah and it, ha- it has been picked apart right in the 34 35 years since then mm-hmm. and it is you know it's like a like a cup that's being made to hold Niagara Falls now. It simply just doesn't fit. But these folks for the video poker uh, were were prosecuted under the, the portion of the statute that essentially criminalizes intentionally accessing a computer without authorization or in excess of authorization. And that means there's just about as much as I've seen. Wow, it just by matter. pressing buttons that were on the machine itself. Right, and so, I mean, look, this is the... It's very challenging to have an anti-hacking law that I think preceded or at least coincided, um, you know, uh, the Internet. Mm -hmm. Right. So to think about that for a minute. Right. And so eventually this was, um, you know, eventually this lawsuit, this lawsuit, well, not this lawsuit, but this prosecution was dropped. Right. But not without quite a bit of expense quite a bit of time and quite a bit of effort to get it done
1: yeah i think they litigated it for years and then the irs still was chasing them if i recall correctly for hundreds of thousands of dollars in back tax and interests that they claim was illegally won even though the
2: lawsuit went away and i think that look most people would understand that when you're when you're going into a casino or you're logging in online to play with real money and you're gambling that money that there might be criminal blowback from that a little bit harder to think that if you're again you're simply just pressing buttons that it's going to lead to that but at least the user's experience is a heightened one think about it though from the perspective of Mm esports right which is where a lot of the revenue is being driven right now in this industry right again the contrast between a glitch which is fun and an exploit Mm -hmm. right so i played a lot of uh uh, nhl 94 on the sega genesis as some of our uh of our li- listeners likely did
0: you should you, you'd be in proud or you know I should note here this is my plug for Foos Puck which
2: is what I a game that I beat Nick in just the other day uh, single Steve is
1: surprisingly good
2: at that game yeah I, that's right well when you spend you know a good eight to nine hours a day on it you'd be surprised <laughs> that you get better but I like but, but this was NHL 94 had a, an exploit really was where you where you took a, I used to play Alexander Mogilny from the Buffalo Sabres and you nice. go right in front of the net you go up down and up again right in front of the net and it would go in every time so my brother and i made the rule that you couldn't do that move and so again it was in our little in our our 1v1 esports community at the time in in 1994 we had that rule steve
1: would never agree not to do that by the way well
2: i have the
0: same exact example in in command and conquer zero hour we would play that game religiously and it was like an east i mean you know, RTS style game, and we would literally start every game, and you don't know the guy who's on the other side, you're playing a 1v1 or whatever, and you start off by a series of typing, like, uh, good game, uh, no scud cheat, uh, you know, and then if they don't acknowledge those rules, you might be in for trouble, because they might just all of a sudden, you know, in a few minutes, you hear that scud launcher, and it's like, they didn't get the Weapons of Massive Destruction yet, so I don't know what's going on here. They're cheating, but, you know.
1: Right. And so, you know, connecting that to modern esports, one of the things that allows a game to become an esport and to be competitive is that it's really well made. Right. And the glitches and bugs are absolutely minimized. But like we we're talking about, there's still complex software. There's still going to be some kind of loophole or hole. Right. That's
2: right. And what are the what is the esports league do to address that? Right. Can we make it fair? Right. Again, fast forward a couple of years from 94. It's the early 2000s. And we had a rule in uh Mario Kart on the N sixty four that you couldn't play as Toad. Just make it simple, no Toad. Right? <laughs> wow, the Toad it, discrimination. So, a couple. Well, look, a couple, uh, year, maybe two years ago, uh, there's a you know pretty well developed game called For Honor, pretty, e- oh, yeah. pretty big esports like, and there was a lot of coverage at the time, sort of in the press. About one tournament that was ruined by a particular glitch that was used by one. The rules weren't clear at the outset of the tournament, oh, no. and I think yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good prize, about ten grand I think that was on the line, and it, that led to a lot of frustration. And you can see for some of the esports, um, you know, not not in the professional esports leagues, but in some of the pay to plays, right, where I'm going to participate in this tournament, right. and I'm putting up my ten dollar fee. Mm-hmm. If someone else is able to use an exploit, and I wasn't clear on the rules. the the user's going to be pretty upset about that. And again, you could see potential contract-based actions. And I can
1: imagine, you know, if you were upset not getting your spaceship Warlock reward, if these guys who put in the time and the money, and then they got exploited out of a tournament, I would be furious.
2: We're thinking about sports-based games, right? Like what EA does every year to put out a brand new FIFA game. I mean, it's clearly, it's far and away the number one soccer, football, however you want to call it, for our, for our UK listeners, uh, you have, you've got uh, glitches, alleged glitches in the game, is what is keeping it from becoming mm-hmm. uh, the sort of esports juggernaut that it probably should be.
1: It's not up to the level of quality it needs to be in order to have a, a predictable and manageable rule set. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about the esports and just the absolute,
0: just tremendous growth esports has seen. The infusion of money, but. Jack, looking into your crystal ball, do you see uh, or do you think we'll see more or less legal
2: consequences for bugs in games? I think we're going to see more. As more of the consumer's entertainment dollar shifts from watching movies, watching television and into interactive and esports and streaming services, you're going to see more. More money means more plaintiffs lawyers and regulators looking at ways to to make it, right? Now there is an acceptance I think that comes with a Particularly complicated set of software mm-hmm. like a like a, set, a Fallout 76 or an Anthem or a Dead or Alive 6, um, but even even accepting right that this is more complicated software, guess what? It costs more, and the more people are beginning to invest in these things, right. and the more that companies are making a billion dollars off of games, I think the more you're going to see folks looking for um, looking for ways to, uh, when they feel they've been harmed, get redress for that. At the other end of things, though, right? just to kind of bring it full circle, smaller publishers who are relying on crowdsourcing, Mm -hmm. who are relying on Kickstarters, could be argued are making contracts with their investors or their funders or their Mm -hmm. donors and should look carefully about how they word those contracts to make sure they're not promising more than what they've really promised.
1: That's a great point. You promise to deliver a perfect game. uh, It's going to be hard to deliver that promise.
2: Yeah, so that's that's where I think we're going to see this. I'd continue to look at the blockbuster games for large-scale class actions and regulator actions, but I think for smaller publishers, solo game producers, look at the way you're having interactions with your customers or or your early-stage investors and make sure you're only promising them what you mean to promise. And if you do that, I think we're going to at least have some control over this. But as uh, we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll check back in with you, Nick and Steve, on this as we begin to learn more about how these lawsuits are getting resolved and filed across the country.
1: So for now on your Kickstarter, make sure to promise this game will not work.
0: (laughs) Well, that was really interesting, Jack. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. I learned a lot about bugs and glitches, and uh, I appreciate your time. Unless you have anything else to add, Nick, I think that's all we have for today's podcast.
1: That's all I got. Thanks again to Jack for coming and joining and educating us. Uh, Keep out. A lookout for other episodes of the podcast we got coming up. We release once every two weeks. And uh, until then, game on. Game on. You've been listening to the Land Party Lawyers Podcast Series with Steve Blickensdurfer and Nick Brown. To learn more about our e gaming and esports practice, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.